This week, he's got good news for us. Um, we're working, we just have begun working through the Gospel of Matthew. And I don't remember where, but um, I heard somewhere in the last 20 years a Jewish rabbi said, you know, every text of Scripture um, could, could be preached 50 different ways. And he didn't mean we all interpreted ourselves. There's 50 ways of, you know, getting your own interpretation. What he meant was what you often hear Pastor Gina say, the Word of God so rich, so full, there's so much in it. And as we go through the gospel, I just want to stress again, um, not only that that is the case, but with an eye toward the richness of it, as we go through this time, we're, going to, we're doing it in a particular way, or we're wearing a set of glasses. We're looking at it through the lens of restoration, right? Jesus is bringing an in-breaking kingdom of God to the earth. He's bringing the kingdom of heaven to the earth, and the scriptures say that he will return again to restore all things. So he comes, he begins to restore, he invites us to co-labor with him, and he will come again to restore all things. So as we go through the Gospels this time, we're not going to do a two-year walkthrough like we did with Luke a number of years back. We're going to do about maybe 30 or 35 messages where we bounce around. We may not even go in order. What we're doing is we're looking at how is Jesus bringing the kingdom, bringing restoration, and how are we working with Jesus to bring it? And what that means for us is that as we gather every Sunday, we're, we're doing two things. We're coming through, maybe three. Coming to learn from Jesus, right? He says, come follow me. Come learn from me. We're coming to receive from Jesus. We're here to receive the restoration that Jesus brings. Wherever we need restoration, Jesus has the ability and the desire to bring it. We're also coming to participate with Jesus. We're here to, to learn, we're here to receive, and we're here to participate. And I hope to say that a number of times because I hope that the Spirit develops within each and every one of you anticipation. Some, somewhere in the last two weeks, someone said to Pastor Gina, I can't tell you how much I look forward to coming to worship on Sunday morning to see what God's going to do this week. And that's what we want every single believer, every single attender of worship to come with hunger and anticipation. Jesus, what am I going to learn from you? Jesus, what are you going to do, maybe even in me? And Lord, how can I grow in working with you to bring restoration? So we're going to not just hear the word, but we're going to continue to create space for Jesus to do the word. Okay? So that being the case, would you turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 4. Our text is chapter 4, verse 111, but I'm going to read beginning at 316 because the context is really important. Matthew 
as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert or the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. God's word. Amen. It's no secret that each of us faces temptation very regularly, daily, and that we sometimes, maybe even often, succumb to temptation. This message is not primarily a message about how we can copy Jesus to resist temptation. If that's what you hear through this message, you've missed it, and we've missed the gospel. That's not the gospel. Mimicking Jesus is good. It's important. We'll hear that we ought to, but it's not the gospel. I'm going to come back to that later, okay? What I want to start with is kind of strange, but as I was meditating on this text this week, I kept having this children's song come back to me, and it's a children's song that I didn't grow up singing. I don't know that I've ever sung it in my life, but I've heard my wife sing it a lot, and so I'm going to I'm going to sing slash read some of the lyrics to you 
They may or may not be on tune. You may or may not recognize it. I am a promise. I am a possibility. I am a promise with a capital P. I can be anything, anything God wants me to be. You are a promise. You are a possibility. You are a promise with a capital P. You are a great big bundle of potentiality. And if you'll listen, you'll hear God's voice. And if you're trying, he'll help you make the right choice. You're a promise to be anything he wants you to be. You can go anywhere that he wants you to go. You can be anything that he wants you to be. You can climb the high mountain. You can cross the wide sea. You're a great big promise, you see. It goes on. But I won't subject you to any more. I'll just tell you that um, these are the lyrics that gripped me as I thought about this text. You're a great big bundle of potentiality. And you're thinking, what does that have to do with Jesus' temptation? Well, first let me tell you what I was thinking about you. I was thinking about each of you. I was picturing you, and I was thinking about the way that each and every one of you is intentionally, uniquely, specifically designed by God. Gifted, wired, put together with purpose, like fashioned in your mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made. And the Bible says about you that God's created good works in advance in Christ Jesus for you to walk into, for you to do. So in the mind and the heart of God at your creation is this great big bundle of potentiality, of ways that God's uniquely fashioned you with delight, And that he wants to work through you, through your life, to serve him and to bless others. In other words, you're designed for impact. You are designed to influence others in his name. You are designed to build up and to strengthen and to encourage people. You are full of potential in the same way that Jesus is full of potential. Now, that might seem strange for you to hear because you know the end of the story. But I want you to think about where this temptation of Jesus, who is a real human being, fully human, takes place. He has not preached a sermon. He has not taught anyone. He has not worked a single miracle. He has not delivered anybody. He has not saved anybody. He has not died. He has not been resurrected. He is not at this point ascended and reigning. It's all there. All of redemption is there in potential. 
It's God's design and it's his intention. It's in God's heart for him. But before it comes to pass, Matthew tells us, Jesus, filled with, anointed by the Spirit, is led by the Spirit into this wilderness place to be tempted by the devil. Why would a good, good father lead a son about whom he says, I love him. I am delighted in him. I'm well pleased with him. Why would he lead him into the wilderness? Because he's a very, very good father with a very, very good plan in mind. And it requires this. It requires this. Okay? Let's watch together what he, what he does through Jesus. So he leads him out into this. I want you to picture vast hills that are primarily sand, rock, and dirt. They are cold and dry at night. They are hot in the day. And there's nothing, nobody around, maybe wild animals. And he's not eating for 40 days. That leaves you a lot of time on your hands. Now, I, I think some of you will remember that, well, before I share that, uh, Matthew says at the end of 40 days he was hungry. And you might think, well, that's like the biggest overstatement ever, right? Like the big statement of the obvious. And I want to say to you, no, I don't think it is. And here's why. Okay. Some of you will remember that a few years ago, maybe four or five, uh, the, I felt the Lord leading me to do a longer term fast. And it ended up being 21 day water fast. Well, in those 21 days, I want to tell you, I never experienced hunger, not once. I experienced great um, physical discomfort as my body uh, detoxified toxins that had built up over the years. I experienced weakness as I didn't have all the energy that food gave. I experienced not being able to sleep very well. Uh, The days felt super long, but I never experienced hunger. And the reason for that is I read a number of books ahead of this fast to prepare. And the book said that hunger is not what we experience when we have go six to 18 hours without eating. That's not true hunger. True hunger is what you experience after your body has uh, first it goes into what's called ketosis and then it starts burning your fat reserves. And when all your fat reserves are burnt up or used up, then your body starts turning on itself and it starts eating your organs to sustain itself. And that's the point where starvation starts. But what you feel at that point is hunger. You feel hunger, hunger pangs. What I think Matthew's telling us here is, oh, oh, one more thing. The, The literature says the average human being can go about 40 days before they reach that point. So what I think Matthew's showing us here is, is Jesus at a place where he's so weak that he's just about to or just entering the starvation phase. And it's, it's important to notice that it's there, it's then that the devil comes to tempt him. We don't have record of the devil tempting him earlier. He fasts 40 days and in this moment of deep, vulnerability 
deep weakness, then the devil, in some form, appears to him and says, if you're the son of God, just turn these stones into bread. In other words, you've got this power, right? And he's right. You've got this power, don't you? Yeah. Well, why don't you just provide for yourself? Isn't that the logical thing to do? I mean, I'm putting words in his mouth, but here's, here's how it goes. God doesn't want you to die. He's got plans for you. You better secure your future. You better take some action to provide for yourself to make a way so that God's plans don't fail. And, and he's given you this power, this ability, hasn't he? So why don't you just take matters into your own hands and turn this, turn this stone here into bread? It's a real temptation. When you're that weak, when you're that hungry, but Jesus doesn't bite, pun intended. He doesn't bite. Jesus says to him, in essence, what he says is, I may be exceedingly weak. I may be very vulnerable. I may have the power to do that, but you know what? That doesn't keep me alive. After 40 days, he's still got his discernment. He still knows what keeps me alive, what sustains me, is the word of God. That's what sustains me. So the devil turns and he says, well, I'm going to use the word of God then. He says, hey, if you are the son of God, then throw yourself off this mountain because it's written he will command his angels concerning you. He's quoting Psalm 91. Now, before we go any further, consider this. The devil's quoting scripture at Jesus. You ever think about the devil quoting scripture to you? That's something to consider. Now, what's he doing with Jesus here? What he's doing is he's tempting him to reveal his glory, to reveal who he is. You see, Jesus has a calling on him. And that calling is to be an exalted king. Right? And so if, if Jesus throws himself off the temple right here, I believe the angels would catch him. I believe people would see it. I believe it would be spectacular. I believe people would go, what? Did you just see what happened? And word spreads like wildfire. This man threw himself off the temple and angels caught him. Who could this be? Could this be the Messiah? And the adulation and the attention and the focus and the glory. It's all supposed to come to him. But it's not supposed to come now. See, Jesus knows his calling. He knows where he's going. He knows what God said. He knows the prophetic word over his life. So the glory's coming, but the glory's not now. 
And the glory is not to come in this way. The attention or the honor isn't to come in this way. Satan will often tempt us to step out in ways that would draw attention to ourselves, that would, that would have, have others notice us, notice our serving, notice our gifts, notice how special we are, notice the calling on our life, notice whatever. And he's, he's trying to bait Jesus to, to reveal himself. And Jesus rightly discerns, that's not the word of God. You're twisting it. The word that the Lord is speaking right now is, and then he quotes another scripture, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Satan moves on. And he says to Jesus, all right. See all this? And he shows him, what what would that have been? This is kind of a mystical vision, isn't it? I mean, a mystical encounter. Like they're moving from the desert to the temple, from the temple to a mountaintop. They're viewing the whole world. So somehow, I don't know how this works, but somehow in the spirit, he's allowed to see the kingdoms of the earth, the kings of the earth, the glory of the peoples of the earth. And, And Satan says to him, it's all yours. I'll give it all to you if you give your allegiance to me. Now, notice this. It's a legitimate offer. He is the prince of this world. The world is in bondage to him at this point. He's the ruler of it. He has it to be able to offer. And not only can he offer it, it's Jesus' promised inheritance. Psalm 2 verse 7 prophesies about Jesus. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. So Jesus, who knows the scriptures, who knows the prophecies and the plan of God, knows his inheritance is what's being offered to him. And not only is his inheritance being offered to him, but it's being offered to him without any suffering or hardship. He's being offered a shortcut to the plan of God for his life. A shortcut that if he took it, would leave him in bondage. And not only him, but the whole world. You and I face this all the time. God has plans for us. He has purposes. He has destiny. He has calling for each and every one of us. And we're consistently offered shortcuts that try to avoid hardship and suffering. It's not that God loves for us to suffer or he authors it. It's that the Jesus way and being united to and yoked with Jesus brings us into suffering and kingship, if I might say, um, John, when he's writing to the churches in Revelations, he says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingship and perseverance that are in Jesus. You don't get one without the other. And Satan is constantly trying to tempt away from suffering and from hardship or from difficulty, offering us our inheritance anyways. Jesus, again, discerns, and this time doesn't just counter, but he says, away from me. And I think there was power or authority there. James says, 
reject the devil, and he will flee from you. So Jesus resists him. He rejects him. Not just there, but some, uh, some of the other Gospels say, and the devil left him until an opportune time. In other words, he's coming back. He's working through different leaders. He, we see him in, in, even in Jesus' ministry working through a believer, through Peter. Right? Jesus is constantly facing temptation to turn away from God's path for him. And it's, it's, a, it's a, an attitude of dialed in discernment, but also humble submission and trust in the Father that what the Father says and how the Father leads is good, even if those around you don't call it good or don't view it as good or they don't understand it. It's a trust in the Father that when he says, go this way, go through this hardship, that on the other side is glory is goodness, is joy, is honor, is peace, is the promise, the inheritance. And so Jesus resists and he keeps resisting all the way to the point where he, in the garden, is sweating drops of blood saying, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Take it away. He's facing a temptation. The weight of the sins of the world The heaviness of the weight of sin is on him. And he doesn't want to. But what he wants more than not wanting to is to follow and obey and trust the Father. And so he again resists all the way through his own death. And I want to read you a scripture that's written about Jesus That only makes sense if you understand this describing his whole life and um, culminating in his death. It comes from Hebrews chapter 5. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation For all who obey him. There's two things in here that should strike us. He learned obedience. He's he's fully God. But as a fully human being, he had to learn by the practice of. And then the second thing that should strike us is these words. Once made perfect. What do you mean? Made perfect. As God, isn't he perfect? Again, fully human, there is always the potential for the choice of sin. There's always the potential to yield to the temptation, to give in to the tempter's voice. And made perfect happens at his death. It's like his death seals a lifetime of resisting the devil's temptations. It seals a lifetime of obedience to the Father. And so here, here's where we get to the good news part. The good news is 
not that we can copy Jesus. The good news is that in Jesus, God has laid down a new human pattern. He's established, literally established, a new humanity. He is a new, this is why we say he's the beginning of a new creation. And when you and I come into union with Jesus, God imparts to us his perfect, pure track record. He imputes, he gifts to us his righteousness. If we try to battle the devil and resist temptation, on the, on the basis of our own righteousness, we will in, be in bondage all the time. We'll remain in bondage. We've got a battle. The battle's before us. Every day, it's before us. But if we try to battle on our own track record, it's a lost cause. If we battle on Jesus' track record, we're empowered for obedience. It's not that we don't fall. It's not that we don't fail. It's not that we don't give in. But when we fall, when we fail, when we give in, John says, we've got one who's ready to forgive sins. He's ready to cleanse us from unrighteousness. He's ready to liberate us and lift us up again and again and again. Okay? The fact that, that um, Jesus established a new human pattern is what enables and empowers us for obedience. We couldn't be obedient. We didn't have the ability to be obedient before him. But we, we now live from his obedience. Now we have the ability, now, out of, living out of his nature within us, to resist. Is this, is this connecting? What? The, the thing that's so encouraging to me is that, maybe I'm going to try and get at this from a different angle. When you're born again, a new life gets planted in you. There's a seed. The Bible calls it a seed. Okay? That seed within you is the very nature of Jesus. You know how the Bible talks about us being one spirit with the Lord? He joins himself to us. So we've got a perfect human on a throne in heaven who's called each of us to faith and by the Spirit joined himself to us. And now I have his nature within me. That nature is an overcoming nature. And and living from that nature is how I can resist the devil i can discern his temptations and and battle against him and those temptations friends are many uh, we may be tempted to t- like jesus was we may be tempted to take matters into our own hands we may be tempted to meet our own needs to provide for ourselves, to secure our future to prove our identity and calling to lift ourselves up ahead of god's timing we may be tempted to take shortcuts toward God's destiny for us. These are all in the text, but we may be tempted in many other ways too. We may be tempted towards judgment, offense, resentment, bitterness, 
hurry. I see these take so many people out of action because they take root. They start little, but they grow to be so big. And I think one of the biggest temptations when I think about you all, us all, that we face is the temptation to believe you are insignificant. Humility is agreeing with God in everything. When he said, I created you, I fashioned you, I have purpose for you, I've gifted you, I've called you. He says, you are significant. And if you don't believe that, if you yield to the pressure that comes against your heart and your mind because you, you experience things that seem to contradict it, you get rendered ineffective and unproductive, to borrow Peter's words, Apostle Peter. I'm not trying to frighten you. I'm just trying to be realistic about the resistance that we face as we offer ourselves to God like Jesus to see his kingdom come. And um, I want to end by encouraging us this morning with these two things. I want to offer two closely related encouragements for waging battle and resisting temptation. First encouragement is that every battle that the Holy Spirit leads or allows you into is a battle that you're designed to win. God did not allow or lead Jesus into the desert intending that he would succumb. He resourced him with everything he needed to overcome, just like he had resourced Israel with everything they needed to overcome. But they didn't overcome because they failed to trust. You'll notice earlier on in Israel's story, when they first come out of Egypt, it says, and God led them the long way around because he feared or he knew that if they came against such and such army, they'd grow afraid and they would head back to Egypt. In other words, he saw in the immaturity of their faith that they couldn't handle that battle. And so in his compassion, he led them around the prospective battle. Meaning, if he allows you into a battle, he already has prepared your victory in advance. Anything you face, you are resourced in him to overcome. Any desert season, any wilderness, any period that's disorienting, that's confusing, that feels tempted, anything you face, you are, you are destined and resourced in Jesus by the Spirit to overcome. But, and this is the second and the most important point, the way in which we're to overcome is the Jesus way. Absolute, 
trust, submission, and dependence upon the Word and the Spirit of God. Absolute trust, submission, and dependence upon the Word and the Spirit of God. As we turn from this text, we're going to see God release a great measure, weight of glory through Jesus. It's, it's beautiful. It's astounding seeing heaven come to earth as Jesus heals and he delivers and he brings truth that is just point right on again and again and again. And the, the, the glory comes and is released through him because he's a trustworthy vessel who's yielded in submission, humility, and dependence, who says, I, I'll, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only do what I see the Father doing. And I believe, church, as we turn this corner, that it's Jesus' heart, dare I say his plan, his intention, to release through us greater measures of his glory. We've been testifying over the last couple of months to years of his bringing healing, like he did in Victoria. This, this We heard this morning, of his bringing deliverance, like we heard from Scott a week or two ago. He's already doing his work through us, but I believe that what he has for us is greater measures of his glory being released through us as we walk in faith with him. Dare I say, that we are a great big bundle of potentiality. But in order to carry and to see and to experience the glory of that potential, again, trust, submission, dependence upon the Word and the Spirit of God. If Jesus could come under such great temptation, certainly we do too. Let's pray, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave a little bit of space in prayer before we come to singing our song of response.